Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop takes a deep dive into the mystery of the Ascension, the moment when Jesus was taken up into heaven and enthroned at the right hand of the Father. Hear about its Old Testament roots, how it applies to us today, and how it prepares us for Pentecost. Then it's on to St. Damien of Molokai, and a listener submitted question on what language Adam and Eve spoke. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. How are you with heights, bishop? Um, just a little fear of heights, not not a major fear of heights. Like uh, one of those extension ladders up on the second story working on the gutter? Um. I think I could handle that. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking about the ascension, you know, like oh. this, this, this like <laughs> just levitating up in the space. I don't know if that'd be exciting or scary. Yeah. A little both. You know, like if I go up the top of the Empire State Building, uh-huh. um, like the part where it's glassed in, I'm fine. But the right. part where it's open, <laughs> I don't get too close to the railing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, do you have an opening prayer for us today? Well, we're still in the Easter season. Why don't we pray the Regina Celi? Do you want to do it in English or Latin, Kyle? Um, can we do Spanish? Why are you asking me that now? <laughs> no, I, I think English may, might be the best. I don't best. think I'd have to. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever prayed in Spanish. But, you know, your part is the same in English that, that's or why in I, Latin. That's why I you was would say Hallelujah. <laughs> so let's do it in Latin today. Okay, great. And then uh, you can do your Hallelujah since it's the same in I'll, English and Latin. You do your part in Latin. I will do my part in Spanish. Oh, okay. That's Hallelujah too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Hebrew. <laughs> okay. In nomine Patris et Filius et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Regina Celi Letare. Alleluia. Quia quem meruisti portare. Alleluia. Resurrexit sicutixit. Alleluia. Ora pro nobis Deum. Alleluia. Gaude et Letare Virgo Maria. Alleluia. Quia surrexit Dominus Vere. Alleluia. And we'll do it in English. Okay. So everyone knows what we just prayed. Okay. Queen of Heaven, rejoice. Alleluia. The son whom you merited to bear, Hallelujah, has risen as he said, Hallelujah. Pray for us to God, Hallelujah. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary, Hallelujah. For the Lord has truly risen, Hallelujah. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I, the reason I brought up the heights and the ascension is we have the solemnity of the ascension of the Lord, which is it. Technically, tomorrow, a Thursday, is the Ascension, because 40 days after Easter. Right. But then we celebrate it on Sunday. We celebrate it on Sunday, yes. Um, it's a beautiful feast, and I often will meditate on it. It's the second mystery of, uh, second glorious mystery of the Rosary. But Pope Benedict wrote a beautiful uh, reflection on the Ascension. It's kind of an appendix to volume two of his trilogy on Jesus of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. Um, So if anyone has that or wants to get it, it's a very, it's kind of like my favorite reflection on the Ascension. But in any event, um, we're celebrating it this coming Sunday and uh, the readings are, the uh, 
you know, have to do with the ascension. The first reading is from the Acts of the Apostles, where we read about. It's interesting. Saint Luke recounts the ascension both at the end of his gospel and at the beginning of Acts of the Apostles. So, mm. so he he recounts the ascension of Jesus in both both books. And then we also find an account at the end of Mark's gospel, what we call the longer ending, which is chapter 16 of Mark's gospel. We call it the longer ending because that's considered an addition to the original gospel. Huh. That's a whole nother scriptural issue okay. about that last chapter of Mark's gospel. Did you know that? I did not. There's considered the shorter ending of the gospel and the longer ending. Okay. And the longer ending we consider, we have in our Bible, consider, uh, the church has determined that that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay. They're not versions of the Bible without that, though. Not Catholic versions. Okay. I don't know about other denominations. Hmm. All right. So what does... Mark and or Luke say about the ascension? Well, it's not a whole lot. I mean, I'll read Mark's, uh, I won't read the whole gospel unless you want me to, but the last, it's just the last couple verses of the gospel that we'll hear on Sunday. Okay. Um, where Jesus says to the disciples, go out into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Then he continues speaking. And then it says, so then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. But they went forth and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word through accompanying signs. So really all Mark has there is one sentence hmm. where he says, and Jesus was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. Now, if you look at the first reading for this Sunday, Acts of the Apostles, the first chapter, uh, verse 9, again, Jesus was, was speaking to, uh, to the disciples and um, telling them that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit would come upon them, etc. They were to be his witnesses. Then in verse 9, he says, when Jesus had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him from their sight. While they were looking intently at the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white garments stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will return in the same way as you have seen him going into heaven. So there's more detail in Luke's account than in Mark's account. But looking back at Mark's account, I mean, it's very basic. Um, it's interesting, Mark explicitly at this point calls uh, Jesus Lord. You know, he hadn't done this before. It huh. says... So then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven. So uh, this idea of an explicit reference to Jesus as God, mm -hmm. the Lord Jesus. So here, because his, his resurrection has revealed, fully revealed his divine sovereignty, mm -hmm. you can say. And this is really 
fulfilling what Jesus had said, remember in the trial before the Sanhedrin, that the Son of Man would be taken up into heaven and seated at God's right hand. So basically, Mark's saying, okay, what Jesus said to the Sanhedrin now, that prophecy is fulfilled. He's been taken up into heaven and is seated at God's right hand. He's, and what that basically means is the seat of highest honor at God's right hand. That uh, goes back to really Psalm 110. Hmm. I don't know if you remember. That's a very famous uh, messianic psalm. It's one of the royal psalms where it talks about how the king uh, would be enthroned at God's right hand. Uh, if you remember, it begins in verse 1 of Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So God enthrones the king in glory, seating him at his right hand, a sign of gr great honor and of privilege and power that he shares in the kingship of God. And of course, um, so that's that meaning of, of see, being seated at the right hand of the Father. This is really a fulfillment of the prophecy in Psalm 110. Hmm. And then Luke, as we heard in Acts of the Apostles, he adds that detail that also says that he was lifted up, okay, and a cloud took him out of their sight. To lift up was also a verb used in the Old Testament to refer to royal enthronement, to be enthroned as king, to okay. be lifted up. So this is what is happening. Jesus is being enthroned. The crucified and risen Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. So this is by the power of God, okay, that, that uh, Jesus ascends. And the presence of the cloud is significant. Because remember, in the Old Testament, we have the cloud of Sinai and the cloud above the Ark of the Covenant. We'll see a cloud again at the transfiguration of Jesus. So this whole idea of, of the cloud has to do with, uh, with God's presence. So in Christ ascended into heaven, we have him seated at the right hand of God. He's in God's presence. He's, he's in heaven. He's entered heaven. And because he has, we're able to enter heaven. We can draw close to him. We can enter into communion with him. So there's so much deep meaning in the, uh, the mystery of the ascension, I think, both thinking about its Old Testament prophecies, but also what it means for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is important. It's, it's not just something that, I mean, I think sometimes when we reflect on the ascension, we don't really think of, well, what does this have to do with us? Well, he is, the Lord has is, is prepared a place for us. He's our priest, the eternal high priest, and he intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. What about the significance of it being 40 days after the resurrection? Again, that's a very common, you know, we see the 40 days or 40 years. Mm -hmm. um, 40, uh, it's the same idea of, the, you know, you think of before entering the promised land, the Israelites were 40 years in the desert. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus appeared to the disciples for 40 during that 40 days after Easter before he was ascended into heaven. It's just a very uh, frequent biblical number. Uh, yeah, it has... has uh, 
representative meeting meaning of um, of a journey in a sense, and then that there comes a, a climax of the journey, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. What does that mean? The the climax of this journey. What is the transition that's happening at the ascension? Like what? Because in the that mark. I think that word but is kind of interesting. He, he took a seat at the right hand of God, but they went forth and preached everywhere. Yeah. So did their preaching change after the ascension or did the, the works that they were able to perform? Because one of the things that always kind of strikes me is uh, it's in John 16, verse 17. He says, but I tell you, actually, there's a bunch of different versions of this where Jesus says this, but, he says, but I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go for if I do not go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This idea that Jesus had to leave earth for the benefit of the church. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the sense of it, he's no longer limited to one particular geographic area, okay, mm. where when Jesus walked this earth, of course, he, he uh, encountered people in Galilee and Judea and... Uh, but now it, it becomes a universal mission through the Holy Spirit. So, yes, there was a change. Um, with Jesus at the right hand of the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit on mm-hmm. Pentecost. Uh, so he has opened the gates of heaven for us. We can ascend with him to heaven. Um, but uh, on earth, his, pre- his action, his power, his grace is now bestowed through the Holy Spirit beyond that limited geographic area. And that's why the apostles are are sent, are commanded to go forth into the whole world. And that's why the church is missionary by its very nature. They were to go forth and continue the mission of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And of course, that's what happened, and it happened rather quickly. We see right after Pentecost Sunday, course they they go into the streets of Jerusalem and we have Peter you know preaching and it says 3000 were baptized mm-hmm. that day but they didn't even stay in Jerusalem it wasn't long after that they were throughout the whole region part of that was they were the persecution had set in after Peter after Stephen's martyrdom so they kind of were scattered okay but they went to the island of Cyprus they went to Phoenicia which is present day Lebanon they went to the city of Antioch in Syria, which is in present-day Turkey. That became that was like the biggest city that they went to uh, right away. That and then Peter became a bishop of Antioch. That became a very strong Christian community. All this under the impulse of the Holy Spirit, and that's where they were called Christians for the first time was in the city of Antioch. But then they went, especially Saint Paul and Barnabas and others who who went on mission into the Mediterranean, like I mentioned, the island of Cyprus, the island of Crete, various places in present-day Turkey, like Ephesus, Hmm. Colossus. They went to present-day Greece. You know, so they're setting up Christian communities, proclaiming the gospel, baptizing in all these places, and eventually Peter and Paul end up at the very capital of the empire in Rome, where they're martyred. So the church that began in Jerusalem... Uh, really, the center became Rome because that's where the apostles Peter and Paul were buried. But what's amazing, I think, is to think all this happened in about 30 years. Yeah. In about 30 years, uh, you know, from the ascension of Jesus, we have this, this, um, 
the spread of the gospel and establishment of the church in that whole Mediterranean region, and, and then also North Africa, too. And after the death of the apostles, their successors, and I mean, then it spread all through, uh, more into Africa, into Asia. It wasn't until the late 15th century that Christianity came to the Americas, but um, that astounding growth of the church under the uh, uh, that began on Pentecost Sunday. So that gets back to the original question that was able to happen because Jesus ascended into heaven mm -hmm. and sent the Holy Spirit. So do we know much about the, would it would have been a literal 10 days between the ascension and Pentecost? The only indication we have is that they gathered in prayer after the ascension in the cenacle in the upper room in Jerusalem and Mary, the mother of Jesus was there with them uh -huh. and there were 120 disciples there. So the, um, so as far as we know, they basically waited because Jesus had just promised them that yeah. they would receive power from the Holy Spirit. So they were waiting, they were waiting to receive that power and they were praying and then Pentecost happened, uh, which of course is 50 days after Easter and it's the end of the Easter season. Okay. So I guess anything to prepare us for this Ascension Sunday? And should we do anything to celebrate the Ascension on Thursday or, or should we wait till Sunday? That's well, I w you can wait till Sunday. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I most of my life it was celebrated on Thursday. I kind of liked when it was uh, literally on the 40th yeah. day. But I think when the bishops decided to transfer it to Sunday, at least in most of the regions of the United States, the reason I believe was that a lot of people weren't attending mass on ascension thursday and this is such an important mystery of the faith that the uh the bishops most of the bishops decided that it they would transfer it to sunday i don't necessarily agree with the majority of bishops on that i i would have rather had us really teach more and emphasize the importance of attending mass on the holy day yeah uh, but we are where we are. What's most important is that we are celebrating this, this, uh, this beautiful, glorious mystery. Yeah, I guess that that's a whole another rabbit hole to talk about. How <laughs> much do we? Does the church try to extend this olive branch of of helping the faithful to not miss out on these holy days versus challenging them to step up and and maybe? But at the same time, with you know, secular work jobs, like we were talking about last week, you know, it can be difficult to get off on holy days. If Yeah, yeah. So, And that was, that is true. Um, that can be difficult for some people. Um, it's interesting in the collect, the prayer that we say at the beginning of Mass on the Feast of the, uh, or the Solemnity of the Ascension, I, I kind of think it's important. It, there's two options, but the first one I'd like to share with our audience the priest prays, gladden us with holy joys, almighty God, and make us rejoice with devout thanksgiving. For the ascension of Christ your Son is our exaltation. Hmm. And where the head has gone before in glory, the body is called to follow in hope. So wow. I, I always like that. I mean, it's very poetic in many ways. And of course, as the body of Christ, you know, our head has gone before us in glory. And we are called to follow him in hope. Uh, so it's our exaltation as well. 
that's a really, uh, I think, a beautiful, a beautiful prayer for the feast. At first, when you said that, I was imagining the body following the head into heaven. But I guess another way to look at it would be this call to evangelization that where the, the head went as evangel, evangelizing the countries, uh, or I guess this specific area that he was in, you know, so now the body goes out and to continue what he did. And, and ultimately to arrive with him sure. in heaven. Yeah. Right. Right. But, but it also being the, the present of the work that we're doing mm-hmm. is to, to be following him. But yeah, yep. in, the, in the ultimate call. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Like that. You know, another interesting detail about the ascension, if you read in, in Luke's gospel, which we haven't looked at, we looked at Acts of the Apostles. But if you read at the end of Luke's gospel, when he the first time he talks about the ascension, he says that Jesus blessed the, blessed them uh, and then parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. I think it's significant. That's a priestly gesture, Jesus blessing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he parted from them. Then he ascended into heaven. And what did the disciples do? They prostrated. They worshiped him. So Jesus is the eternal high priest mm-hmm. who uh, passed from death and, and rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. And he is the priest. He is the one who sacrificed. And he was the sacrifice. And he was with God the Father and doing what a priest does, interceding. He intercedes forever, as we read in the letter to the Hebrews. He's at the right hand of the Father. Uh, So we speak of the Holy Spirit as the advocate and also Jesus as our advocate. He's our advocate at the right hand of the Father. So we can always turn to him and ask for his blessing, to ask for his forgiveness, to ask for his mercy. So this is very consoling, I think, because in his humanity, our humanity was taken up to God. He opened this path for us. I think it was Pope Francis once used the image of how he's like a rope. Like if you're climbing a mountain on a rope, Jesus is like the guide. And he gets to the top and he pulls mm. the rest up to him and leads. You know, And I think we can think of that as how yeah. Jesus is pulling us up to God. And we entrust our life to him, just like you're, if you're climbing up a mountain, your life is in the hands of your guide who has the rope, and we need to trust in the guide, and we need to be guided by Jesus. We're in his safe hands. Uh-huh. He's our savior. We're in the hands of our savior, of our advocate. I think that was really interesting. Pope Francis can you know, use these very right. down-to-earth yeah. images, but I found that really good. And speaking of popes, you mentioned Pope Benedict's appendix for people to check out that was in volume two volume two of, of jesus, jesus of nazareth, nazareth. okay and it's just at the, at the end of it as an appendix yes, it's at the end okay and for the if you get confused between the ascension and the assumption sometimes i have to think about this jesus ascended by his own power into heaven mary is assumed into heaven she had her, her assumption into heaven by god's power is that correct yeah, and we see also when when we talk about ascension, though, when you read the gospel, it says Jesus was taken up into heaven. 
so we can also see that as the action of the father. Mm, okay. But but it's he, also the, the action son of the, the father son one. because they're one. Right, right. <laughs> so anyhow, it's interesting that the Trinity, we get into those, right. those things, yeah. But it, it's Jesus' ascension and Mary's assumption. We can remember. Right. All right. If you have questions for Bishop, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, where you can also find past episodes of this show. You could call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And just text in your question. We'll add it to a future episode of the show. Coming up, we'll talk about St. Damien of Molokai and some listener-submitted questions here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And another feast that we have is this past one on May 10th, Monday. We had the feast of an example of someone who dedicated his life to evangelizing as St. Damien de Wuster or St. Damien of Molokai. Yes. Very good pronunciation, Kyle. <laughs> Not Malachi. Not Malachi. Was he was correct. the prophet. Okay. Malachi is the island, the Hawaiian island. Okay. Is there still an island in Hawaii oh, yeah. called Molokai? Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Have you ever been to Hawaii? Yes, once, but I've never, and I wanted to go to Molokai, but I didn't realize it's not an easy place to get to. Okay. In order That's to get to the leper they... colony, you have to go by helicopter and... Uh, anyhow, huh. you have to kind of arrange it beforehand, and I wish I would have done that. If I ever go to Hawaii again, I, that's why I would go. I would want to go to Molokai to okay. visit, but I would arrange it beforehand. Do you have any idea how long it was a leper colony? Yeah, how it was back in the early 1800s uh, when leprosy started spreading through the island, uh, islands, uh, especially on the main island. And... Um, the missionaries there were were the um, the Society of Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary. As you know, before they were Hawaiian Islands, it was the Sandwich Islands. And Father Damien went there as a missionary. He went to Honolulu and got ordained there in Honolulu um, in eighteen sixty four. Before he was there, the lepers were in such it was such a contagious disease. The Hawaiian government had deported them to the island of Molokai. That's how he became famous. He was Belgian, so he was uh, raised on a farm. His, his parents were farmers. He felt the call to religious life and to the priesthood and to become a missionary. That's why he joined this missionary order, and he was sent to, uh, to Hawaii. And while he was there, of course... Because of this devastating plague of leprosy, he volunteered to serve in uh, on the island of Molokai. Hmm. Um, it was horrendous, horrendous conditions. First of all, 
the lepers were isolated. They were, you know, they were sent there. This was a very deserted part of the island. It was an inaccessible part of the island. It was on the shore, but uh, the rest of the island you'd have to go up a cliff to get to. So it was purposely there mm-hmm. that the the so that they wouldn't have any contact with people. And a lot of the lepers were Catholic because a lot had uh, a lot had become Catholic prior to contracting leprosy because of the work of the missionaries and they begged for a priest so the bishop and the and the religious superior of this of this uh, congregation acceded to their request and decided to allow father damien to go and to uh, serve the uh, the lepers but it became an as i said leprosy became really an epidemic i think it was around the year 1840 that it really became an epidemic and that was the year that Damien was born hmm. so it had already by the time he was in Hawaii it was pretty you know they, the, the lepers had been segregated mm-hmm. and uh, but it was terrible conditions um, they were horrendous conditions um, where they were living really in not only terrible poverty but they didn't have adequate shelter. They didn't have adequate food. They didn't have good health care. A lot of them turned to, you know, liquor and other uh, lewd conduct was pretty well. Sexual immorality, mm. a lot of robberies. It was it was really like a hell on earth the way yeah. people would describe it, and that's why obviously they, when when Damien went there, he he really started. He came as a priest to serve the the spiritual needs of the people, but he also undertook a lot of projects to improve the conditions of the people, including building homes. Uh, medical care was was so minimal; some of the people would turn to witch doctors and things like that. Life was pretty grotesque, and. Um, so he, he worked with his hands. He helped the people. He helped them with farming. He helped them to have a sustainable living. He wanted to give them a sense of their personal worth and their dignity. One of the first things he did, very interesting, because so many were dying, is build a nice cemetery next to the church. Mm-hmm. They had a little chapel there when he got there. And uh, mm-hmm. he started digging graves and making coffins because they were just thrown in the earth before that. So he yeah. wanted to show them the people that they had dignity. So in death, they would have dignity. So he wanted them to have decent burial. He would minister to the sick. He would wash wash them. He would bandage them. He would clean up their rooms and their bed. Uh, He wanted to make them comfortable. And of course, he would hear confessions and bring them Holy Communion. He also constructed a rectory, so he had a place to live for himself. He was when he first got there, he lived under a tree near the church, near really? the chapel. Uh, but then he eventually constructed the rectory, and he helped uh, the lepers uh, to build decent little cottages for themselves. And uh, he built a home for the children of of uh, orphans of of the lepers as well. Hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, I think he founded two orphanages there. And he helped people to learn how to farm, to raise animals. And one thing I always thought interesting is he he um, he taught them to play musical instruments and to sing. Hawaiian people were very kind of a joyful kind of 
group that liked to sing and dance. And, you know, of course, when they got, went to the leper colony, there was no more of that. Well, huh. he started it up. He taught them musical instruments and he wanted to bring joy to their lives. Um, and he'd always be pestering the government. As a matter of fact, he was considered rather obstinate by some in the government that he was difficult to deal with. He was very headstrong, but it was because he loved the lepers so much. He was fighting for them. Um, people who visited Molokai before and after Father Damien, like, or during the lifetime, they saw how the whole place was being transformed because of this priest. Huh. Um, the lepers really loved him. And, and think about their condition. I mean, some of them were blind. They used to say that all you heard was, was coughing and Mm -hmm. expectorating and all this because it was just and the odor was overpowering the stench so even in the chapel at first i mean father damien found it very difficult like he'd gag yeah uh, but he got used to it and some of the protestant missionaries they were not successful like he was mm. and one of the reasons is they would blame the leprosy on the people's licentiousness mm -hmm. they would say that they were very puritanical, and they said the Hawaiian people were corrupt, and they they got leprosy because of their sexual immorality. Well, Father Damien was not like that. Mm -hmm. He well, first of all, it's not true. Leprosy is could be contracted in various ways, but he believed that the Hawaiians were basically good mm -hmm. as all human beings, and that they were not essentially corrupt people, and people could tell the way he treated them, mm -hmm. as opposed to the way these puritanical Protestant ministers. And of course, these puritanical Protestants didn't like Father Damien because he was successful. Mm. And um, also, they were afraid of getting too close to the people. Damien, he, he actually bandaged their sores. Uh -huh. He would bathe them. He would eat with them. Uh, he would embrace them. Now, you could say, well, that wasn't very prudent. But I mean, the people, I mean, when he anointed them, he would use his thumb. He would give them Holy Communion uh, on their tongue. And Damien did not see leprosy as like a punishment, a curse from God. Uh, he saw it as a suffering that man was, was to eliminate, uh, that God loved the lepers and he loved them. And he would refer, even before he got leprosy, he would speak of himself with the people as we lepers. Mm -hmm. He identified himself totally with them. And then he, as we all know, contracted leprosy and suffered with it for, I think, about five years. Um, it was really difficult for him because he wasn't allowed to travel back to Honolulu and to be with his other priests, although I think he did go back and they put him in some kind of isolation in the hospital. but. But one of the things that he found really difficult is he wanted to go to confession, and there was no other priest to come on the island. And at one point when the bishop was visiting, the bishop was out on a, on a ship, on a boat, and he pleaded. Uh, he sailed out, and they wouldn't let him get up on the boat. And he said, uh, ask the bishop if he'd hear his confession from his boat so that he just, in front of everyone, he confessed his sins out loud in public to the bishop so he could receive absolution. Huh. Um, eventually, though, they did send a priest there for a few years before Damien died. So he, he did have the sacraments, though, then. But at the beginning, he went a couple years without any, uh, any possibility of confession, etc. Hmm. Uh, 
but even when he had leprosy, he continued doing the buildings. He enlarged the orphanages that he had. He continued to organize his work. As I said, there was this priest who joined him. There was also a layman who was a veteran of the Civil War who came, and he worked as a nurse. No, he he didn't. He he worked to help him, and then another came as a nurse. So he had some uh, some help in those final years of his illness. A very famous person came, Mother Mary Ann Cope, who was part of the Franciscan Sisters of Syracuse. She had been at, serving at the Honolulu Leper Hospital. And Damien asked that Mother Mary Ann would send sisters to care for the girls at the girls' orphanage on Molokai. And uh, they did. And of course, as you know, Mother Mary Ann Cope eventually uh, was canonized the saint also. That's a mm-hmm. whole other episode. But, um, you know, his body started to corrupt because of the leprosy, the skin on his back, on his chest, his abdomen. You know, it's just a very, it was kind of a slow disease. You know, he started losing his voice because it starts eating away at your nose, at your mm-hmm. mouth, your your larynx. So he couldn't talk. Uh, his body really just became emaciated. And, uh, and he eventually couldn't read. He couldn't pray the Liturgy of the Hours. Um, and he died during Holy Week of 1889. And uh, after serving there on Molokai for, I think, 16 years, and he was only 49 years old when he died. And he was canonized a saint in 2009 by Pope Benedict XVI. They have a statue of him in the uh, rotunda of the U.S. Capitol. Mm-hmm. I've heard of him many times and I have never heard his full story. So that's fascinating to hear about all the different aspects of him. And, uh, you know, there's two great books. I, I, I read both. Um, the first one I read is called Holy Man, Father Damien of Molokai by Gavin Dawes, D-A-W-S. And it's published by the University of, of Hawaii Press. Hmm. University of Hawaii Press, and it's called Holy Man, Father Damien of Molokai, and it was published uh, back in 1973. So that's the first book that I read of his life, and it's really fascinating. The more recent book that you may have heard of is called Apostle of the Exiled, St. Damien of Molokai by Margaret Bunsen and Matthew Bunsen. Mm-hmm. You know Matt Bunsen, right. who used to be at OSB, his mother. Right. And he wrote this book. And uh, I think it was in 1989, um, but it was published. The new uh, version was at the time of the canonization. So it was in 2009. So our Sunday visitors, uh, and it's very uh, riveting account of Father Damien's life. You know what Gandhi once said about Father Damien? No. He said, the world can boast of very few heroes who compare with Father Damien of Molokai. Wow. it's a pretty good endorsement. Mahatma Gandhi. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, if you have time, Bishop, we've got a couple questions here. Our first one is from Ricardo Romero from Our Lady of Good Hope Parish in Fort Wayne. He wrote, my six-year-old daughter asked me what language did Adam and Eve speak? I'm not sure what to tell her. If you could help, it would be very much appreciated. That's a good question, Ricardo. I, I think it's always best to just be honest with the children. Uh, and the honest answer was, we don't know. But 
I think it is a good question in the sense of it gets to that whole question of creation and evolution that Mm -hmm. we talked about quite in depth because we didn't talk a lot about, or I don't remember us talking about the evolution of human language, right? but we did talk about the evolutionary development of homonyms, the, the, uh, or homonym, homonyms, the ancestors of humans. Mm -hmm. And we saw how the walking upright was a stage in evolution the making of tools, the growth of the brain of these these uh, creatures becoming larger, also an increase in the brain complexity. All this was part of the uh, evolution. We talked a little bit, if I recall, about Neanderthal man. And it's interesting, the Neanderthals were not symbolic thinkers, so they weren't human. Mm. They were ancestors, but they weren't human. Okay. When I say they weren't symbolic thinkers, the whole notion of symbol, the word in uh, symbolain, the verb in Greek means to put together. Well, when you think about human language, it's the height of symbolism that uh, able to put sounds and words together to express thoughts, the ability to mentally generate symbols, this is a hallmark of human species. The ability to do this, uh, the ability to reflect, the ability to reason, to put together, this is symbolic thought. This is what distinguishes us from other animals. We have reason and we have free will. And then the ability to self-reflect. Negation. Other animals can't think like, um, you know, thoughts of negation like we can. Hmm. There was some kind of great change, what we can call a leap forward at some point in evolution of the human species of Homo sapiens, and we know, as we've talked about, this happened in Africa, uh, and then, of course, they moved out of Africa, probably 100,000, uh, 70 to 100,000 years ago. Hmm. Now, they needed the software. They needed a brain <laughs> that was capable of language, capable of symbolization. So there needed to be this software. Well, that software was through evolution, okay? So you have the Neanderthals and the other hominids. But somewhere in the full sense, this creature uh, became a human. There was something new, something radical new, radically new. We don't know exactly when this took place. It was around 100,000 years ago. There was a change in the species. And part of that was this human language. It's unique among all forms of animal uh, animal communication. It's compositional. We can express thoughts in sentences of a a subject, a verb, an object. The ability to to think abstractly, symbolically. We can recognize things like the past, the present, and the future. There's a lot we don't know Mm -hmm. about the evolution of language. You know how, of course, it developed into many languages, et cetera. But but what was the first? What did the first humans? Well. It was probably rudimentary, but it had these basic things. There was an ability to put together, an ability to reason. Yeah. 
I've never thought that deeply about language before, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, just imagining if your family all of a sudden didn't know any language, how would you start to communicate and form words and stuff? It's fascinating. I mean, when you look at how, I mean, it's really fascinating. Just look at other primates and how they, they <clears throat> communicate. They don't have this ability. Yeah. You can try as as hard as we can to get a chimpanzee or whatever to speak and then they can repeat things or whatever, but they cannot think symbolically. Huh. Okay. They can't put things together. Like we're talking about here. It's just conditioning things. Right. When I, when I say this word, you do this action, right. you get a treat and you learn. Right. That. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Bishop, for another great episode. Just a reminder, you can send your questions to the Holy Cross college text line. Just text, to the number 260-436-9598. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. To access the entire archive of Truth and Charity episodes, do a search on your favorite podcast app. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.